The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Sports, but we came here to win the most legit podcast. That's why we know you're tuning in. We cover the biggest news. We underdogs, but we can't lose. So trust the process. Yes, you, because we got Chris and Anshu to bless you with the best features, best stories. We diving deep like a Lambo leap. Wake up, kid, and stop snoring. We all point just like this beat. Bring the passion like the talk path. In the cold, get a gold brand. Sit back and raise the cat, because we start this show like right now. Welcome to this week's episode of The Underdog. I'm Chris Wardell, joined by Anshu Khanna. Anshu, I want to talk a little bit more about the National Basketball Association, specifically what's going on with uh, America's team, the New York Knicks. I don't get what they're doing. I, I, it seems like their goal this offseason was uh, to sign every available power forward. You know, they signed Taj Gibson, they signed Bobby Portis, they signed Julius Randle. And then they're like, oh, wait, Marcus Morris is available? Yeah, grab him too. What? How are they playing all these guys together? What is going on? I'm very interested to see how it ends up working with, with Portis specifically. I think that they're going to probably try him at center. And I just, look, they're, they're clearly just tossing stuff against the wall and hoping it sticks. Mm. And uh, I'm not sure I would be too optimistic if I was a Knicks fan. And, you know, the other thing is, like, how much of this is just – they're winging it. They're trying to get the best players they can to ultimately maybe package it all together for a real player or, you know, or just, you know, seeing what sticks and then what's going to be around in 2021 when they fancy themselves a legitimate free agency destination. Yeah, I don't. It, it's so bizarre. You know, they say they're you say they're they're going to try and play Portis at center. They're certainly uh, going to also try and play Julius Randle at center. They have mm-hmm. Mitchell Robinson at center. You have Kevin Knox as a small forward slash power forward. It feels like they're doing nothing more than winning an extra five games and stunting the growth of their young players. <laughs> and I'm not even sure if they're winning that extra five. I mean, maybe compared to the end of last year, that's probably right. I mean, mm. When you add all those players together. But man, it's going in like, I mean, if you compare that to what they, they shipped away to Dallas with Porzingis and you know, what they had thought of themselves as I, I like, this has to be just a massive letdown for Knicks fans. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question. Uh, once, you know, a team that potentially had a building block in Chris Tapp's Porzingis, like you mentioned, all this cap room, you know, they were absolutely sure they were going to get the number one pick in Zion Williamson. So Porzingis and Williamson and Durant and, and Kawhi turned into Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Taj Gibson, and Marcus Morris really quickly. <laughs> it's it's pretty ugly. Um, you know, the, the upside, I guess, if you're a Knicks fan is you get to, and I'm not sure if get to is a proper phrase, but <laughs> it's going to be a lot of R.J. Barrett and, uh, you Oof. know, his many, many shots per game. So, I, I mean, but then again, you know, it, it, you get a player like that whose primary skill is, is essentially shot creation. I mean, I wouldn't you I, I'd like for him to get that license to shoot. I mean, assuming Dennis Smith lets him, which is another whole thing. I, I this is such a poorly conceived roster at this point. I'm I'm just stunned because most of you know, I think the floor has been raised generally in the NBA, like in and, and in all sports, but especially the NBA where, 
you know, there aren't many idiots at the table. Um, mm-hmm. And now I, I still think that this is the one team where you can take advantage of them and, you know, the, and the players aren't wowed by the MSG experience because of their owner. And that's where, like, the Lakers were able to overcome, you know, some of their shortcomings in their front office because I think they're still relative. First of all, the weather's better, obviously. And second sure. of all, it's it's just... I don't know. It's a, it's a clearly a better run franchise, and James owns the difference, and that's why no one's going to New York. So it looks like Peyton's going to be the starting point guard over Dennis Smith there. Who would you start? You know, what is your starting lineup if you're New York? Oh, God. Um, I guess it's it's probably Dennis Smith Jr., and I'm not a huge fan, but, you know, I, I just feel like he should be the starter. I know they, they signed Peyton, so they have to kind of play him a decent amount, but, you know, if you're looking, this isn't a team that's going to be in the playoffs or anything, so, you know, you're looking at who's got the better chance of growing, and I would say it's probably Smith over Peyton. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Peyton only 25 still, but I, I don't get that. So go um, Smith and then probably Barrett at the two. Sure. Right? I, I mean, maybe. I think that's yeah, the one. Not... the one lock right there is Barrett is going to be the two. Okay, and then you've got Knox, probably three. Is Randall playing center? I guess I'd go Randall and Robinson, probably. That would be my starting five. Uh, so, uh, for, first of all, I think Peyton has to be the, the starting point guard over Dennis Smith Jr. I don't see a way Dennis Smith Jr. and R.J. Barrett can coexist in the backcourt. This is just mm-hmm. These are two sure. guys who are so desperately looking to get themselves points that just it's going to become a one-on-one game within the game. It's going to, you know, it's going to be a detriment to everyone else playing because, you know, unless you get a rebound, you're effectively not going to get the basketball. And that's, <laughs> don't dare Julius Randle to handle the ball because God knows he will. Oh, God. I would think <laughs> it's probably Peyton, Barrett, Knox. If, oh, God. If it's me, it's Morris Robinson with Randall, the sixth man. Uh, Ooh, wow. I, don't, I don't, or maybe Randall Robinson. I Randall like Robinson. It's got to be Randall and Robinson to me. Uh, I like I like Morris's fit better as a floor spacer, but if we believe that what we got from Julius Randall is is something close to what Julius Randall really is, then obviously he has to be in the starting lineup. You know what's funny? I think my favorite player on this team is uh, Iggy Bradzakis. No, I love your favorites it. Mitchell Robinson. Come on. Oh, that's fair. That that's fair. But I love Iggy. I, I think this guy is just going to have a, a really really solid NBA career for a long time. Wow, interesting. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's it's an ugly roster. There are a lot of bench pieces in my mind on this roster. We talk mm-hmm. about best player on champion, second best player on champion, third best player on champion. I'm not sure. I mean, maybe you kind of squint and hope one of these guys ends up being the, good enough to be the third best. I mean, maybe yeah. Barrett, I guess, if I had to guess. But it's it's ugly, man. It's it's And especially, <laughs> like you said, compared to the, what they were planning on getting going into the season, I mean, they basically have just a bunch of role players. And it's, I mean, yeah, Marcus Morris is a nice piece as like a bench option for a contender, you know, not as likely you're starting four or maybe if not likely, I, I just... That one's weird, and it's weird that Morris came out from under that Spurs thing to join this particular team because I just don't really right. understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's $5 million more this year, I guess, but 
What do you make of this whole Marcus Morris conspiracy theory with why he's fired Rich Paul? You know, for those who aren't aware of this, allegedly the Clippers offered uh, offered Marcus Morris forty one million dollars at the start of free agency, and Rich Paul talked again, allegedly talked Marcus Morris out of signing it for whatever reason. Maybe he thought he was going to get a better deal. Probably thought he was going to get a better deal, but a lot of people believe that. Part of why Rich Paul did this and part of the reason that Rich Paul was fired is he didn't want Marcus Morris going to the Clippers to go play against LeBron James. Yeah, I I mean, I think there's I don't even know if I call it conspiracy theory anymore. I think it's all, you know, staged, engineered, however you want to put it, where the agent takes care of his biggest clients, you know? I mean, and it's just the rest of the stuff sort of falls in place because of that. And I think that this is a perfect example of that. I mean, I I really, I don't get it. It doesn't make much logical sense to me. Maybe if if he really is getting a lot more money, that's one thing. And there is a reason why it's like, you know, not an official signing period, but just that sort of quote unquote pre agency. Right. And I mean, Mm. It, but it doesn't make a lot of sense, and I, I don't like it. But this is part of this, you know, player empowerment era that we've heard so much about over the last few weeks, and, and really over the last few months. Um, you know, it, it's like take care of one for the other, and really just like allow the players to essentially run this whole league by themselves and take the power out of the owners' hands. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, we're seeing a little bit of balancing there, but yeah. It is very much a players league right now. And <laughs> I love this. I love this story in that like it, it I can empathize and I just feel bad. And uh, that is all these Orlando Magic fans right now who are getting their hopes up, watching edited clips, who are talking themselves into what Markel Fultz is going to be for them. And then you get a quote that I have seen iterations of at least 10 different times. Uh, this time from Steve Clifford. He's working hard. He's made great progress, says Clifford. Uh, Clifford, you know, right now we don't have a timetable for when he'll be back, but oh. he's doing a really great job. Oh, I am familiar yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, I, like I, we talked about last week, I feel like you've got PTSD from the Folds thing. I think. At this point, until we've seen him do it on the court, and I mean, for a long sample, it's going to be really tough to buy into anything that you hear about him. And I mean, I, I, I'm not buying one word of that until he's out there hitting jumpers and looking natural, which I've, I've never really seen it. I mean, not certainly not in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm sure you're... Your thoughts and prayers are out to the uh, the Magic fans because they've got to deal with this now for the next at least year, I assume. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. And that whole situation was really weird. You know, the from the incredible promise that Fultz showed that first summer league where he just looked every bit the uh, number one pick in the draft to last offseason where we were getting these videos and then the preseason rolls around and there's Markel, you know, he's in the starting lineup. Well, I guess once the season started in the starting lineup, taking, mm-hmm. taking jump shots, taking threes. It looks OK <laughs> if, if you kind of kind of squint and don't worry too much. And then then one day I, it was getting progressively worse and it happened. The double clutch happened again. Oh. He was broken again. 
And, you know, I do really think that there probably was some physical element to this, but I think, and I would, I would really say unquestionably what Markel Fultz is dealing with right now is mental. And I think oh, yeah. he's just so afraid to look bad. And that is just destroying him, just destroying him. After that double clutch, it was done. The next free throw, I believe he airballed. And then he did that. They did that weird thing where he was changing hands as he was shooting the free throw, like batting the ball back and forth like a yep, dancing bear. That's right. Just, <laughs> oh, my God. Just oh, man. so sad. Painful. Because it's funny. It's it's funny. Like the alternate reality of what this team could have been too. I don't know if that if it's better or worse uh, that things happened like this. I don't know if if a uh, an elite level Markel Fultz plus Ben Simmons plus Joel Embiid plus all of the pieces they have traded uh, over the last couple of years, like Landry Shamet, like uh, like Robert Covington, like Dario Saric, mm-hmm. all the draft picks is better than what they have now. But it is fascinating just to think of what this could have been and where it is. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost impossible to even envision because of how we never really got to see full-fledged Fultz. And so it's hard to even know mm. if, if you add him to what they had and if they were able to build this from the ground up. And if, you know, Hinky stayed candidly, I mean, it would have been a, it's just a totally different looking scenario. And I mean, I, I think they're... They're fine. Um, my concern with what the way that they were constructed was just how does a ball dominant player like Fultz play with a ball dominant, maybe not ball dominant player like Simmons, but it's just it's an awkward. I think it's a little more awkward of a fit. And uh, I like the way they're. I mean, they couldn't be more different in the way of their roster is constructed now versus yeah. that. Um, when you think about the team outside of those two guys, so yeah, it's. <laughs> It's crazy, and I mean, I'm sure Magic fans too are thinking, "Hey, man, maybe if we can, if we can get some iota, this former top pick, maybe you know, he, he becomes our we what we may have lost in Alfred Payton, maybe we have it recaptured here with Fultz." But I, I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. You know, I don't know if that's crazy to to think that's hard to imagine because even when Fultz wasn't able to shoot. He still did other things well. I mean, he you know, mm-hmm. he still got to the basket. He still played defense. He still moved the ball. I think there is just the re- I, there, I think the reason he wasn't playing wasn't because he couldn't be effective, but rather the team was so worried about just demolishing him psychologically. Sure. Yeah. So I'm I'm fascinated by that because. You know, if if you were, let's say you're you're the head coach of some random NBA team, not the Sixers, but some mm-hmm. team that's, you know, on the fringe of the playoffs or maybe out of it, a team like the Magic, say the Hornets, something like that. If you had Fultz, do you just trot him out there every day and just let him fight through it, or do you think that could potentially do irreparable damage and just ruin any chance you have of reclaiming any of his ability? Well, that's a really good question, and I think we've gotten to the point where he, it's it is what he is. You know, this is the third last chance for Folds. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. I don't think we can do this again. I don't think we can have another season, or e- even justify another season where it's oh, you know, his shooting is weird. Oh, he's not comfortable. We have to sit him. No, I think at this point we have to figure out if the shooting isn't there can he still be an NBA player? 
And I think right. it can be with the right adjustments. But, you know, I, I had the opportunity to uh, to talk to Mark Zumoff, the 76ers play-by-play guy, uh, before the season started last year. And that was that was a real treat for me. But one of the things that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, even Mark acknowledged that Markel just looked terrified to shoot the ball. And you can't play with fear in the NBA. You, it's just it's True. not going to work out. That's why, you know, you've played against higher level basketball guys. And every single person, every single guy who can actually play thinks and is absolutely convinced that he is the best player in the gym. And Markel <laughs> Fultz doesn't have that. He doesn't have yeah. that that just that irreverent confidence to just right. to get by when he's struggling and, and to think that, oh, the next one will go. The next one will go. It has to because this is me. Well, especially when you're a younger and smaller player. I feel like that that is when you need to have that sort of inborn confidence. And, you know, we've seen it with other guys. I mean, I, I think of Cameron Payne a lot recently. I, his name was in the news because he had a pretty good summer league and he was just – but he was just so bad. He's been so bad in the NBA, especially with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the ability to reclaim that, though, after the fact, even if he's all he is is just like a pickup for someone, the fact that he was able to kind of cobble it back together and come out as a different sort of player, especially for a guard, which is why I'm making this comparison. I mean, I, I just think that that's, that's kind of what you would look for if you're hoping for something out of Fultz. And, I mean, you know, in my mind, the reason why I asked that question to you originally is just, like, if he's able to be good enough to do other stuff, can that confidence be rebuilt just by osmosis, just by being out there and running around and being somewhat productive and being a player that your coach, you know, obviously has to believe in to some extent yeah. um, over, like, another younger player? So I think that, that in that way, that's how I would handle it if I had Fultz, even if everything looks really weird and you maybe feel like you're, you know, you're playing him at the expense of someone who maybe deserves it more I just think that when you have that ceiling, you just got to trot it out and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, the fear there is that that's kind of what Philadelphia did last year. They stuck yeah, with him true. for quite a while. They starts. said, they said you're our starter. He started over J.J. Redick, who had arguably the best season of his career last year. And it wasn't that he got more confidence as things went on. It was the complete opposite. It was that he started to fall mm-hmm. apart more and more as things went on. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And I think that that's, I guess that's the risk you run. Is it worth mm-hmm. seeing if you have any chance of reaching anywhere close to that massive ceiling that made him that top pick versus the downside of him potentially just completely crapping out of the league? And I mean, to me, I think that we're there. Like, I think that we're, mm-hmm. we're in that place where you said third and last chance. I mean, this is it. Like, if... If he fails again, maybe he gets one or two, one more try, maybe somewhere. But in my mind, I mean, if it doesn't work out this time, it's you've you've gotten your answer, and you can move on and stop even penciling him into your thoughts. Like I think that you need to get to that point though, where you you've just decided and figured it out. If you trust your coach enough, you got to do it. Oh, for sure, for sure. And I think we're gonna know before the season whether or not mm-hmm. the Magic believe Markel Fultz is going to be able to become the player we want him to be because they're going to have to make a decision on that option. There's a there's a $12 million club option for 2020. Oh, and that, interesting. And they're going to they're gonna have to de- make a decision there really quickly. So yeah. if he 
doesn't look good. And honestly, I wonder if that's the thing that could just break completely break him. Mm, is that not getting, that option. not getting the option picked up out of chances now. And that's going to add so much more stress to every shot he takes this season because this is now he has to prove that he belongs here. Yeah. And by the way, Markel Fultz has made like it's, it's what has happened to him is horrible. And obviously I wish this guy was a superstar for Philadelphia, but I don't feel terrible for him when he's got $25 million in the bank at 21 years old. Yeah. I mean, that, that part is great and all, but you know, more than anything, it's like, what a deprivate, like we're just, first of all, doesn't seem like a bad guy. Second of all, no, he's just, a hard worker. Yeah, he's trying out there, and I mean that's the unfortunate thing. And and really, the the main thing is there's only such a few amount of players that can people in the world that can do this at this high level. And smart teams, very smart, brilliant front offices, believe that he was worth being one of those guys, like a guy you pen into your future. And I mean, when you lose that, it's it's always a shame. I think to to just see that talent when it, as long as it's not like a terrible person, like with. That I think that that's probably the saddest thing, and especially when you see the two teams, the Sixers and Celtics, who you know had a shot with them, um, you know, not. I don't know. They're both in the Final Four last year in the Eastern Conference, and you know, you just imagine him playing a big role in that, and how he wasn't able to do it. It's kind of a shame, but I mean, at this point, I think it just is what it is. Like, there's, it's it's hard for me to imagine him ever being that guy. Yeah, no more sitting. You you have to play. You have to you have to mm-hmm. earn your. Uh your your right to play here uh i just wish we would have never gotten that first summer league i just <laughs> i wish we would have never had that because boy he looked so good he just looked yeah. so good in the utah summer league and then it was gone you know he had a, he had the little shoulder thing they shut him down and that was it that was the last yeah, time I mean, it's a, from markel it's a good cautionary tale tale for you know, what just happened, which is, you know, we, we see that NBA Summer League just coming to a close and the Grizzlies winning and maybe just not overreacting to what we've seen, you know, and not the fact that, you know, that uh, Clark is the, the MVP of the league, and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we don't we don't overreact as, as productive as he was. And I know that you'll have no problem not overreacting to him being <laughs> good. But, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where I think a lot of people will jump to assume that Clark is the next, you know, a potential dark horse rookie of the year or something like that. And the reality is, like, he's playing against, first of all, Clark himself is playing against players much younger than him. And second, like, we shouldn't overreact to any sort of sample that small against that particular, you know, group of players. Oh, yeah. No, don't forget. Uh, what's his name? Lonzo. Lonzo was his summer league Lonzo. MVP that year. And uh, what, is, wow. what is it? The Grizzlies. The Grizzlies now have like three of the last four uh, summer league MVP. Four really? the last four the last five summer league MVPs oh, in Brandon Clark. Um, I don't know. I can't be right. Kyle Anderson. I guess it's four. It's a little bit since 2013. They have four of them: uh, Jonas Valanciunas, wow. Kyle Anderson, Tyus Jones, and Brandon Clark. Wow. So yeah, that's that, yeah. That's I, obviously a championship over. roster. Four MVPs <laughs> on that roster. Yeah, I mean, there's a pretty good chance they end up with the number one pick next year. So you know, but no, it's it's an interesting group for sure that they've got there. But yeah, again, like just not overreacting to what we see in summer league and taking pieces of it as just bits of info rather than like what might actually or likely will happen as we saw the polls. Oh, 
Yeah, you can. All right. This is going to tell you how you can absolutely never tell what you're going to get from a summer league MVP. So I'm going to go down this list of the the summer league MVPs and we're going to get to 2012, okay. which I think is really interesting. So we have Brandon Clark. We have Josh Hart in 18. We have Lonzo Ball in 17. We have Tyus Jones in 16. We have Kyle Anderson in 15. Glenn Rice Jr. in 2014. Oh, Valachunas in 2013. In 2012, there were co-MVPs. One of them, a super highly regarded five-star prospect, another a lightly regarded college player who went to a small school. They were Josh Selby and Damian Lillard. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's, I mean, that's perfect. It's great that Damian won that, by the way. But, um, well, you got to share yeah, it with Josh Selby. You got to share it with Josh Selby. Me- yeah. Memphis Grizzly, Josh <laughs> Selby, by the way. Oh, there you go. Grizzlies have the, uh, yeah, the monopoly on this. I don't know. That's, you know, like, so what do you take away from that? What do you look for? I mean, is it just trust your eyes? Are there any numbers that you specifically look at? I mean, what what are you looking for in summer league generally as a takeaway? I I think I want to see that the moment isn't too big for him. I'm not going to be so worried about whether or not the shot's falling right now because the guys haven't been playing basketball for a couple of months. Guys are out of shape a little bit right now. That doesn't worry me. Are they playing the right way? You know, do do they pass the eye test like you said? That's my concern, not the other stuff. If people people have cold streaks, people have hot streaks. Like I said, Glenn Rice Jr. and Josh Selby won summer league MVP. So did Blake Griffin, John Wall, Damian Lillard, and I guess that's the the last of the really big groups. But yeah, we had three years in a row where it was. Lillard, Wall, Griffin, and then it was Jared wow. Bayless, Nate Robinson, and Randy Foy. I love Jared Bayless. I remember when that happened. I was I felt totally vindicated, and uh, not so much. But well, yeah, look, no, it's and I think the age okay. thing is a big factor too. Like sure. just think about the size of these guys. Like when they're especially like the like Josh Hart, for example, last year. I mean, the guy was a second year player, obviously, in, in a league where you know you're mostly playing as younger players and they probably are the most talented team so that also helps you know determine who wins the MVP so you know that's that's all you need to know about uh, how much to look at that I think yeah there's also an outstanding chance that it's going to be a guard I think 10 of those 14 are guards it's it's really tough like the Valachunas thing is really the outlier in all of this to me because how I would love to watch those games because how did he get enough touches on a summer league team to win MVP? Like that doesn't even yeah. make sense to me. How much was he playing? Like how much? Yeah, was like they're, they're playing, playing him the whole game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, but he Brandon, Okay. I mean. Yeah. No, he's a fine player, but it's just like you wouldn't say Valachunas is going to be summer league MVP. No, but I also wouldn't have said Josh Hart, although he he did look really good last year. That's just oh, I was I so mad. I was so mad that we took, we didn't take the Villanova kid over that seven foot two Latvian who we now have released. <laughs> oh, heartbreaking! Man, that's right, I forgot about that. You guys had your shot at him. And Kuzma, but you know a lot of people had a shot at Kuzma. So we're not gonna right. we're not gonna stick around too much longer. I do want obviously we're gonna talk about the Westbrook trade, but I do want to talk to you about your thoughts on your Bulls, both summer league and moving forward right now. Where's your head at for the season? Oh God! Um, I was really, I really, really like Daniel Gafford. I thought that he, oh, yeah. absolutely looked the part. Um, as down as I've been about the Bulls front office and really everything they've done over the last few years, <laughs> I mean, they this was 
this is one that I got to give him credit um, because I, I think that not just numbers wise, but you talk about like the game not seeming too big for him. Like he just looked to to me like he's going to be a really bouncy good player right away, right off the bat. And, um, you know, and, and I thought that he could have easily gone higher anyway. So it's nice to see that vindicated out on the court. Um, you know, you know, I'm not a huge Kobe White guy, but like he, mm. I thought that he did exactly what I expected him to, which was, you know, he controlled the tempo of the game in, you know, in summer league. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how much Jim Bowen's going to let him push, but when he does that and has sort of that secondary break that he's able to help run, I thought it, you know, from that perspective, he did what I expected. He didn't hit his shots pretty much at all, um, which is fine. I mean, like you said, you can't really overjudge it. And I felt like you were talking specifically to me <laughs> when you just said that. You can't look at the stats. Um, but, you know, I overall, I like what Gafford looked like. I was disappointed in Hutchison. I think that they've got to – I, I want to see strides out of him this season probably towards the second half of the year. Um, but he's an older player. He should be dominating this league for the reasons we just mentioned with guys like Hart. So the fact that he isn't is, I think – a little bit scary, but, um, you know, when you think about them long-term, I don't think Hutch necessarily plays a huge role in that future. So, um, but if Gafford does, that's a big luxury. I think that you've gotten it with the second round pick. Well, you know, I like Hutchinson, but, uh, yeah, yeah, Gafford surprised me. He looked bouncier than I remember him looking. Same. I thought he was going to be more weighed down, but he looked, yeah, he looked really athletic, really actually lighter, than I yeah. thought, too. You know, we talked about Zion last week and kind of, you know, what the body type looks like compared to other NBA-ish players. And I thought Gafford did look a little smaller than he did in college, but I it, I don't think that was a bad thing for him. He just seemed more athletic to me. Zion, oh, he has the most confusing body for an elite athlete that I have ever seen. <laughs> He's got to lose weight. Am I, he looks chubby. He looks right chubby to me, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I wonder if part of that was, you know, while the rest of these guys are out busting their asses trying to, you know, make get drafted, I mean, Zion knew exactly where he was going. I'm not saying that he's not a hard worker, but, you know, he's probably not pushing himself to the limits of conditioning while everyone else is, you know, going crazy trying to get drafted in the second round. Yeah, what is what is there to unlock physically if this guy was in incredible shape? Like, how much... How much does he gain oh. athletically? Like, it's just scary to think about because he is like a, a top 0.001% elite athlete that potentially we've ever had in the NBA. And he's, I don't know, he looked 280 to me. Yeah. Oh, I could see him. Yeah, I think that's about right. Only because he's not muscled up. And if he, if he, did, no, if he was no definition. To... No. Yeah, he's got to get. He's got to get a little lighter, but you know, he's so young and they don't, I I mean, maybe they make the playoffs this year. I doubt it, but you know, they, I think he's the kind of guy that that second year I'm expecting a major, the way that we see it with so many other guys, you know, the, the, you know, Giannis and and a lot of other players like that, that Laurie Markkinen comes to mind too, for me, Mm. you know, where they, they get in the weight room, they have the conditioning, they're young, they kind of like get into that. I don't know if it's old man strength, but, you know, they, they get more ripped up as they get older. And, um, you know, I'm expecting that out of Zion, maybe not this year, but probably for, you know, a year or two from now. That's when I would expect him to make that leap. Do you worry at all that this guy is heavy as a 20-year-old? Um, yeah. Because that, does, mean, that do. doesn't I... historically tend to bode well for a guy's future. <laughs> 
I do worry about it because of because of the feet, you know, the issues that he had last year. And I mean, I don't know if there's a history there. I don't think there is, but yeah, I think you have. I think every single thing should be micromanaged with him at this age because of what he means to that that franchise. I mean, I think he gave them the willingness to trade Anthony Davis, and so mm-hmm. yeah, I, it would. I would be over pouring all over that, and I mean, I, and I think that it's justified to hear from you because you know there's been a lot of I guess whispers this off season about you know about Joel Embiid's training and his conditioning and like what what do you think in retrospect or going forward do you think that he needs to make a leap in that regard yeah no question it yeah. seems like he gets that at this point and i i will say that but but he un, he unquestionably needs to make a leap and he is so Embiid is tough because he's just so big and so like so muscle bound it's not yeah. that he's he's not fat obviously but no. No. He, I think he probably benefits from losing 10, 15 pounds, both both athletically and in terms of endurance and in terms of long-term health. I, I always say this. I think it's funny that this guy is seven foot two and he's not a lob threat. Like he, yes. he's, they do That's not throw lobs to him ever. No. He's like the only big man in the league that you could say doesn't really have that part to his game. I guess Jokic to a certain extent, but when I think of, yeah, I think of everyone else that's, you know, rim-running bigs, I I would not call Joel Embiid a rim-running big. Oh, no. But he's, no, 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 no. Absolutely not. Uh, I would love for him to develop that element of his game. Although I am also like, so, (laughs) all right, it's going to the Zion thing. And one of the things like this scares me is, like I certainly notice that it's harder to lose weight and harder to stay in shape as you get a little bit older. And yes, that's true. One of one of the benefits that I have noticed from not being in the shape I was when I was 20 is that you don't jump as high and you're much less likely to hurt yourself when you land. So there is that's something true. of a benefit to that for MB that you know I yeah, he yeah. he he is uh he's running and jumping and throwing his body all over the place as it is. So if he had another five or six inches on that vertical, maybe I would worry a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I'm maybe I'm just, I'm just looking for any, uh, any positive you can in this situation. But uh, yeah, the point yeah, is I'm in, no, I'm in horrible shape and, and need to work on that. <laughs> Me, Zion and Joel. I'm calling them out. All of them. Welcome. Uh, we have an extra guest room. First one to respond gets it. And uh, we can work out together for the rest of the summer. <laughs> oh, man. I like that. The future of the NBA bigs. Chris Ordell, <laughs> Joe Embiid, and Zion Williamson. Makes sense. Everything yeah, is good I, together. There, was, there has never been a moment in my life that I played as a big man. Not, <laughs> not in my life. I, I'll tell you what. I was, I was playing oh, GV, maybe. I don't remember what it was. Go to the basket. Go up for a rebound. And I, I take an elbow to the mouth, bust my lip open, never, ever, ever, ever interested in going inside again. From there on out, it was, well, close enough to see the rim. I can get a shot up here. Sure. No, I mean, yeah. It's, look, leave the lip busting for, for hockey players, right? Like, you, you, Chris Hordell needs to be healthy, not concussed, bombing threes, you know, really just leading the squad. I'm looking forward to the uh, the underdog sports three point contest because Tyler Laurie makes some claims as well. So, 
Wow. Okay. Well, that that would be interesting. I'll throw my name in that fray. Let's oh no, I you you've yeah you've you've said things in the past that uh, absolutely, and I'd love to see Josh shoot so he can Josh, take part. Yeah. Josh, yeah, I, look, that's that's a pretty good four-way right there. Let's see what happens. Get out there and bomb threes. Let's never refer to us as a four-way again. Let's make that rule right now that we're never going to do that. Really looking forward to the four-way. Make that pact. Uh, okay. So before we get out of here, and if if there's ever been time, it is now. Uh, right, af- yes. right after we recorded last week, the Russell Westbrook trade happened. Russell Westbrook goes to the Houston Rockets, the team that I thought made no sense for Chris Paul, mm-hmm. and uh, and yet more draft picks. Right now, I'm going to read to you the list of draft picks owed to the Oklahoma City Thunder from now between now and t- uh, 2026. 2020, their own pick, uh, protected one to one to 20. Denver's pick, if it falls 11 to 30. Uh, 2021, they have their own pick. They have Miami's pick, and they have swap rights. Um, 2022, they have their own pick. Swap swap uh, rights with the Clippers, or with uh, yeah, the Clippers, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah no, uh, yes. Anyway, this list isn't great with details, but let's just say this: <laughs> two first round picks in 2020, two in 2021, two in 2022, two in 2023, three in 2024, uh, one in 2025, three in 2026. Doing pretty good for two guys who asked to be traded. This is how you handle stars asking to be traded. For sure. And beyond that, they have Stephen Adams and Chris Paul who are likely to net and Gallo. at least... And Gallo, yeah. I mean, that's at least two more future firsts, I'd have to think, between the three of them, at least, maybe more. And, you know, and uh, look, I think Russell Westbrook, to me, getting really anything for him was a win. These teams aren't going to be good forever. That's the other thing. Like, you think about this, or, or like probably the casual fan thinks about this as just a first-round pick of a good team. So, fine, you're in the late 20s. No, I mean, think about 2024, 2025. One of these, the Clippers thing is could end in two years. I mean, it could all go up and smoke yeah. very quickly. And beyond that, to have the swap rights, I think, is, is a massive win for Presti um, because all they have to do is be, you know, to, if they get good quickly, which they could because Sam Presti is a good, good executive. I mean, if they... If they do, then now, you know, they're they're positioned so well. And it reminds me a lot of what the Celtics had going on, but even obviously to another to a whole other level. And yes, the Thunder are gonna be building from the ground up with absolutely no current assets for their future. But well, maybe I guess Gilgis Alexander is the only one. But yeah. that's you know, that's a, still a great place to be when you think of all those picks and you just wonder you know, what that looks like, especially with those three in that 2024 year, that double draft year potentially, where, you know, things could go really good for them really quickly. Absolutely. And a fun little update. We just uh, had an earthquake out here in, uh, in Northern California. Oh, wow. That's fun. It, uh, not, not particularly big, not particularly big, but we did have an earthquake. Uh, people are freaking out. I'm on Twitter. It's like uh, wow. people have never experienced an earthquake before. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it's a crazy situation. How do you? What do you think ends up happening in Houston? Because this situation can either go pretty well or incredibly terribly. <laughs> um, I wouldn't. 
say they're in the top three in the West, but I think they're still better than they were last year by adding Washbrook, and, and I'm fascinated by it. I agree that you know there's not much middle ground, um, and it's just going to be one of those like where Harden and Washbrook have had two of the highest usage rates in NBA history, and in individual seasons now they're back together. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see it going super well, um, but I do think that, and I think that like in his prime, Chris Paul would have been better, even post-prime, but what he devolved into, what he has devolved into, I think is is not ideal at all for them, and Westbrook will, will give them, especially during the regular season, some games where, you know, Harden can basically just take the night off, and Westbrook can, can you know, lead them to wins it's gonna a lot of this hinges on can they get the one seed because if they can yeah if they can end up being above the clippers which they could with these two guys i mean that, that changes everything um to just have that home court advantage but ultimately i think just two way too high of usage rate players to uh to be successful and win a championship yeah, I think you're more bullish on this team than I am. I think this is probably not going to go great. I I think talking about them as the you know, the best team in the West is crazy. A top 3 team in the West is crazy. I think they're a lower seed in the playoffs and I th- here all right, last question I'm going to ask to you. Does this relationship get better or worse over the course of the season? Basically, I'm asking you, are they going to come out playing nice and then sort of devolve back into their own games? Or are they going to figure things out as the season goes on? Yeah, I think it's the former, but I do Agreed. think that going. Uh, I do think that in the playoffs, things obviously always get magnified. But all they do need to do is win a couple games, and then it's a it's a totally different situation. Now, I don't necessarily believe that they're going to be able to do that, but we've seen it happen quickly where it turns around real fast. And I mean, I think of Jimmy Butler a lot when it comes to that, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not picking them in the West or anything. I think that they'll have major issues should they run up into the Clippers. Um, you know, just from like a matchup standpoint, that's a disaster matchup waiting to happen. But I do think they're better having made this trade than they were before. Do you agree with that? Yes. Yeah, they're more talented. They're more talented. They There's a higher, more talented and a higher upside. I don't know that they're a better basketball team. Hmm. Interesting. I, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty in the West. We all we know is like a bunch of these teams are thrown together. The only ones that we know are kind of the same are basically Denver. Even Utah is going to look a lot different. You know, Portland is going to look a really, I think, really different compared to what they were in the playoffs last year. And yeah. you know, I, I still don't think that team, this Houston team, is better than Denver. So from no, that no, 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 no. Sure. Yeah. Jeremy Grant is going to be really big for Denver. He is the piece that mm-hmm. they haven't had as a as a versatile wing defender who can switch on a lot of team a lot of different guys. He's going mm. to really really help them. I love this Denver team. I I don't I don't know. I would be it'll be an interesting season. I don't know that it's going to be a fun season if you're a Rockets fan. <laughs> I agree. Um, it's very going to be very interesting. But I do think that. It was their only move to me. Like, I mean, well, sure. I don't know how else you get out from under Paul. And I, I also, it'll be fascinating because if Cresty's able to flip Paul for something useful, then I think the clamoring will begin on Daryl Morey, which is, you know, assuming the Rockets don't win the West, you know, should he have just cut his losses with Paul, figured out what was, you know, basically gotten expiring contracts and then just tried this again next or next offseason or the one after with Harden. 
um, you know, towards his end. But this is it. Like, this is their end game. Westbrook is their guy. I mean, I guess unless they, they decide to flip Westbrook to Miami. And I guess that's that's not an impossibility either, is it? Do you uh, do you think they can actually get anything of value for Paul given that contract? I doubt it. Uh, I mean, I think if they could have, Maury would have probably tried to do that, or this would have been a three-way trade, um, and I, I doubt it. But, look, if he's good and, you know, he's efficient, then they could potentially flip. I think there are going to be surprise teams, even though we think we know what's going to happen with the top, the, the real contender versus not. I mean, what if what if the Wolves take another step and they're looking for a point guard? What if, I don't know, Eric Bledsoe gets hurt? What if someone, you know, there, there are things that are going to happen and Chris Paul's price could go up. I just, I doubt it. I feel like it's ultimately going to be expiring contracts, which is fine for a Thunder team that's that should be tanking over the next year or two. Agreed. All right, well, quick update before we get out of here. I will let you know that Twitter tells me it was a 4.3 in uh, san francisco Ooh. although all, also on twitter it? i'm seeing it i didn't feel anything alexis says she felt some felt some of the but i didn't i didn't feel anything it's although i'm also seeing a 3.3 in, in san jose so i don't know who knows what is real get on your game u.s geological service uh all right i think it's important to call out government agencies at the end of the show just to keep everyone Very on their toes so <laughs> For Hanji Kana, I'm Chris Forwardell. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you back here next week.